the magic. I mean, tell you how wonderful Denali is, for instance. But can I take you to Fern Harbor in Glacier Bay National Park, where we're the only ones that ever go there, and blow your socks off? He knows that name. Because of that experience I had on the sailboat of experiencing culture and snorkeling with sharks all the time, you begin to look at life differently and you kind of go, gosh, you know, the standard industrialized tourism is just scratching the surface. Uncruise, we're the antithesis. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lady Tim Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. I've got a great one coming your way today with Captain Dan Blanchard, who is the owner and CEO of Uncruised Adventures. Now, if you're not familiar with Uncruise, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it right now. They are a leading small ship adventure travel company that creates connection to nature and sustainable travel. My Myself, my wife, my daughter, we just got back not too long ago from a cruise. And after doing the experience, having, we, had, we had such a great time, came back. I actually interviewed one of my wilderness guides on the trip that we had a great experience with. And I thought that went so well, I've got to hear straight from the CEO and founder. Now, Dan has been a captain for over 30 years. And this is actually part of what inspired him to to create this company in the first place. And a couple nuggets that you need to know about Dan, Dan was adopted into the Clinkett tribe in Alaska as an honorary member by a native elder and respect um, to his work and dedication to Alaska. And also Dan has been known to jump on cruise ships <laughs> at breakfast and dinner with them, although he didn't make it on ours. I've heard stories about him jumping on ships with guests and even leading historical walking tours around his hometown of Juneau when guests get on board even giving those tours for free. Dan, welcome to Lead the Team, sir. Ben, it is so great to be here. Um, you know, when, you, when you're sharing about my product, about what I do, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps. You're, you're telling the story. Why are you interviewing me? Yeah, well, I tell you, because <laughs> it was incredible. And I didn't get on this cruise ship thinking, well, I'm going to interview the CEO. Uh, no, and, and let me tell you about, about, about our experience. So, uh, a friend of ours, a dear friend of ours recommended it, and she'd been on several on cruises. And we were we wanted to go to Alaska. We, we thought about the cruises, but we really weren't sure how to approach it. And she was so high on it. And so we did some research. It sounded like a cool experience. We get to Juneau, and we're walking around. And y'all, if you haven't been to Juneau, there are huge cruise ships, 4,000-plus people cruise ships docked. And then we were in sense, so we're walking along these these cruise ships, and we look down, and we see this teeny tiny little boat. And my daughter's like, "Daddy, that's our boat." I'm like, "Wow, that's our boat!" And it was, uh, it, it is minuscule. It is tiny compared yes, to these huge ones, which actually gives it a little bit of an advantage, and, uh, which we'll get into uh, in this. But um, wow, Dan. I mean, I mean, maybe tell us 
one of the questions that I wanted to, to, to get out here is why the heck did you get into the cruise line business in the first place? Right? Like you could have done anything. Instead, you, you jump into this cruise line business against Titans, Goliaths, uh, Goliaths, cruise, cruise lines running around the world. And here you come. So what was your inspiration? Well, you know, I think like most small business people, we don't necessarily go into business to, for business sake. Most of us don't have degrees in business. Um, most of us have other degrees, and it's really more about what we find that we're passionate about or, or possibly where we've been trained. And the same was mm -hmm. true with me. Uh, I had grown up on a tugboat as a kid and uh, had my license since I was 18, my captain's license. And so all this kind of set me up to, you know, get out on the water. And, uh, I really wanted to, uh, sailing is my, my passion. Mm. And, uh, but I, I couldn't make a living sailing like I wanted to. And, but it was really, uh, I think the, the whole sailing experience reflects on where we're at today. I, I took, uh, three years off in the early nineties from my cruise line job as a vice president mm. of operations. And I went sailing across the Pacific. And when I came back, it was like, oh my gosh, this is, this isn't really what people can be experiencing. They can experience much more. Mm. And thus we started on cruise adventures wow. with the idea that, uh, Hey, if you're going to come out on my 42 foot sailboat with me, where am I going to take you? I'm going to take you to those same places that you went on your trip. Well, all uh, right. Sorry. Yeah. So I don't want, I don't want to get too far away. Cause you said you grew up on a tugboat. Well, yeah. So my father, when I was four years old, purchased a 1912 tugboat that was going to be burned. And uh, what's what they used to do. They used to light them on fire and uh, for the 4th of July and uh, they'd let them go. And uh, so it was going to be burned. And my dad picked it up for a couple thousand dollars and it became the family project for the next 20 years or so. And so we lived on the boat uh, all summer long. Uh, and then had, we had a house that we lived in during the non-summer months. But yeah, it was an 83-foot wow. tug, wood. It was originally steam and then later diesel. And uh, and unfortunately, it's uh, it lies about two miles from where I'm at right now and about 400 feet of water. So she didn't make it, but, uh, anyway, it sank. It was scuttled. Actually. Oh, scuttled. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and and yeah. where, so where was this? Was this in Alaska or this was, this was in Washington state. Washington yeah. state. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Little wow, town called okay. Muckleteo. Yeah. So, all right. So what, what did you take from that time? I'm already hearing some things that I could project on based on what I experienced on the young cruise vessel, hearkening back to things you potentially learned living on the tugboat. But is there a connection that you make there? Well, you know, I think it it's, you know, when you when you're raised on a commercial vessel, uh, you learn how to repair, kind of like a farmer. You know, farmers from the old days, family farm businesses, everybody knew how to fix stuff. You know, a, a young mm. person, male or female, would grow up and they'd know how to fix the baler. And uh, we always used to like to hire farmers because uh, our kids from farms because they knew how to fix things. And the same was true on a tugboat. And so for the first thing was I knew vessels, ships, boats intimately. And so that's helped me in my career to, you know, know what's real and know what's not. No one a vendor tells me one thing that that's really just trying to get 
you know, a bill of goods sold to me compared to, you know, reality. So I, I think that really helped me. But what really gave me the passion was just the love for the outdoors. Uh, you know, I had a chance mm-hmm. to to travel the inside passage several hundred times before I started the business. And, you know, that seeing what the wilds outside of the metropolitan areas that we live mm-hmm. in are really like, um, it, it altered me. And uh, it, it made me want to go on the beach and pluck oysters and go crabbing and and find get to that peak on that island this kind of thing so very much an outdoor kind of wow. mentality all right so for those of the people i have another question about the inside package passage but i want to go back so when i'm on this vessel i feel like a lot of the people were cross-trained so thinking about your tugboat days a lot of the a lot of the crew could do multiple things they felt uh, connected to it and there was a special special thing attached to the back of the boat that we were just talking about before we got out here y'all called the sea dragon which has dual meanings so you see a lot of these cruise ships right they're big cruise ships that go into port everyone gets off the ship when you're on an uncruised vessel at least the one we were on our only way to disembark was through the sea dragon which was a it's like a floating dock sort of deal off the back of this boat where you'd get in your kayak and you'd go out. And um, where where did the Sea Dragon idea come from? Well, it, it was actually developed between Captain Voss, uh, who you sailed with, Captain mm-hmm. Tim and myself. Mm-hmm. I think we were having cocktails one evening and we both agreed that, you know, we need to put a kayak launch facility on this boat, but it will wreck the lines. Because this boat was designed like after John, a John Muir era in coastal steamer yeah. that would go to Alaska. It looks right? like a steamboat. Like, when oh, you yeah. See it, yeah. She's it does a, look like a cruise ship. Like a yeah. Boat. She's yeah. an 1889 replica, um, uh, much newer, of course. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we didn't want to wreck the lines of the boat, but yet to achieve our mission, we have to have, you know, three or four bays of kayaks. We have to have ability to get people on and off skiffs, this kind of thing. So, uh, literally on the back of a napkin with a big bold felt pin uh we drew up what is ended up being kind of a power barge small she's only about 35 feet or 36 feet um but she's towed behind and she's quite beamy or wide and she carries the kayaks the paddle boards she's the what we use to get on and off the skiffs and it's it's just perfect for her purpose yes it it is and it ties perfectly into I think some of your origin story of how you guys figure things out, you customize it and y'all, you will never be probably on another cruise ship like that is a truly unique experience. Yeah. I can't think of any (laughs) like it. (laughs) A steamboat replica now cruise ship with some of the coolest kayak launches, you know, ever. And uh, in these remote regions, now you said um, the the inner passage for our listeners, What's the, how would you describe the inner passage? Well, the inside passage is, um, an area that starts, yeah, in Olympia, Washington, Mm -hmm. uh, is way south in Puget Sound and goes all the way up to Skagway, Alaska, uh, well over a thousand miles. And, um, it, it, it basically is 
follows the coastal fjords and there's several inside passages you can take and almost never touch open ocean Mm. so when we cruise that area we're on the inside but again the big cruise ships say they just go right outside they leave seattle they go out open ocean for a day and a half and they do a day and a half back in open ocean they don't they don't do the inside passage so that's again the advantage of a smaller vessel uh the big ships are just too large to to go through the inside passage. Yeah. We were able to get up in some places where we were the only ship around. Yeah. I mean, no houses, no civilization, and you're just launching out into some pretty rugged terrain. And you might say, well, people are saying, well, baby Ben, did you go hiking? I'm like, no, we didn't hike. We bushwhacked to hike. You need a trail. (laughs) And these areas, there's no trail. That's true. I mean, Alaska is a raw land. And while there are some trails, they typically are around towns and cities. Uh, once you get into the outback, trails are a very rare thing. So you're right. We we bushwhack. We use wildlife trails or bear trails quite often. Um, they're, they're quite noticeable and easy to use. And uh, it's sometimes you see things you don't want to see necessarily. Yes. But yes. Uh, that, that's part of that's being great. out in the wilderness. That's right. It adds to the excitement level. Yes. And we saw plenty of brown bears, and it was amazing. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Now, coming back to you here, you... So you travel the world, you, you, you go tugboats, you sound like you went to a bigger uh, cruise liner for a while, right? And you were working in that, and then you left, went to sailing. Yeah, I was actually yeah. working. I worked for a while for the National Park Service, uh, the okay. concession for Glacier Bay, and then wow. um, started with a company that was, uh, I would I would call it a small ship company, not dissimilar to what we do but they were very much port centric very much the world war ii generation was traveling when i was younger and that generation really loved the you know the town stop here they were happy to look at a glacier and have a cognac in their hand and toast it now my generation comes along we want to hop on top of the glacier we want to (laughs) we want to go inside the ice caves we want to put the mud on our face and have a glacial facial so it's an entirely the baby boom generation traveled entirely different compared to the hmm. previous generation oh well okay that that's very interesting i thought about that but yeah it's it makes a huge difference when you get out in it and it's it, it just you experience it completely differently you may not see all the typical sites that you would maybe check the box on like a bigger boat we're going here 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 but you're seeing the world in such a different more experiential way that is just so so memorable now thinking about your career path what did you learn about leadership sailing the world um that i guess this was one thing to be inspired to start your own cruise line but there's a whole another aspect of actually going to do it setting it up leading it i mean there's a big jump there uh what what did you learn that helped prepare you for, for such a huge move? Well, you know, it wasn't so much on the business side, but really more on the personal passion side. Uh, on the okay. business side, I 
was fortunate enough in junior high and high school to have really great teachers that encouraged me to go into business. Um, I mean, what a weird thing to say, but that's the way it was in my school district. And, uh, yeah, uh, most of the teachers had summer businesses and, you know, on and on, but, but what really made the difference for the business and developing on cruise adventures was this, you know, listen, the cruise industry is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, even at that time in the late nineties. Um, and they, they are, you know, they're becoming industrialized tourism, which they are today. But in the 80s and 90s, they were headed towards that. Not quite there. There used to be a lot of individual companies. Mm-hmm. Now there's, in essence, there's three cruise lines because of the ownership. There's three major corps. And so in the 90s, yeah, after I had that sailing experience of, you know, going to, to places that literally were 150 years old, in the sense of they were today in 1996, say they might as well have been, you know, 1850 or something like that. So what that really taught me was, listen, there's gotta be a market. Um, if I'm loving this, others are going to want to love it. And we, that can, can really touch the places that the people, they may not know the names of, but in a way that's the magic. I mean, we can sit there and I can tell you how wonderful Denali is, for instance. But can I take you to Fern Harbor and Glacier Bay National Park, where we're the only ones that ever go there and blow your socks off? Because, but nobody knows that name. Uh-huh. And uh, so, you know, really, we are more associated because of that experience I had on the sailboat of experiencing culture and snorkeling with sharks all the time you begin to look at life differently and you kind of go, gosh, you know, the standard industrialized tourism is just scratching the surface. And, uh, that's really how Uncruise came about was this idea that it's, it's experiential, but we're also, uh, well, we're Uncruise. We're the antithesis of, of the big massive mass market, uh, industrial tourism. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Everybody. Uh, I'm not getting paid to say this is really incredible. And um, it it makes so much sense now hearing your story. And it's interesting how this, how the company has really become a, uh, a continuation of your vision of, of, of what you saw and what you wanted to create. And you had your, the cruise line, the young cruise line is, is an expression of that. And we, and I experienced that. And I started thinking, you know, this is a powerful way to travel. I think you, know, so. you're, you know, you're in it. You're much more connected to nature and the people that work on the ship, the guides that are on the ship mm-hmm. completely express that. Yeah. You know, I you, mean, they are good peeps. They are good peeps. Well, how do you, how are you? So a lot of, a lot of founders like yourself, you you have, you have passion. You talked about that. You have a vision. Um, What are you doing to hire people that buy, that buy into this and and can continue it? Because you're community, you're communicating to me now, but when I showed up on the ship, I didn't know Captain Dan. I kind of read (laughs) it on the website, but I'm like, okay, you know, my experience is through these people that you hired. What what's what's your secret? Well, you know, I think it's one thing today, it was another thing 
26, 28 years ago when we were first starting and kind of had to break in and, and it took more work to get the right people back then. But as time goes on, you get a reputation in the industry and people Mm -hmm. love what we do. Um, you know, there's a whole industry of guides out there, for instance, and they guide all over the world to all sorts of different guiding besides just vessels like we have. And when you get a reputation for not only great pay, but a, a, a living standard where they're with other people, they're they're not just doing a day trip, they're doing multiple days, they actually get to know you mm-hmm. as a person. That is so much more appealing than the standard guide life that's out there. And I think they also like the fact that, you know, we're, even though we use a boat, uh, vessel, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, that would, you would think puts us in the cruise industry. The reality is we're much more in the adventure travel, experiential mm. travel trade than in the cruise industry. The, the boat just happens to be our weapon that we need because there's, there's no way to get there without the boat. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think we, we didn't talk numbers. So a standard cruise line today in Alaska is what three to 4,000 people passengers and another 2000 I mean they can be 6 7000 people on okay. board a single vessel with yeah. crew 6000 7000 yeah. people yeah ours was i believe in the 70s in the 70 yeah, plus I mean, people the 70s would be a typical kind of uh, yeah. guest capacity with another 35 crew or so yeah so so right around 100 people so definitely different and by the end of the by the end of your week you know everybody yeah uh, and they know you and and I encourage everybody to go check out my interview with Merith, Merith Griffith, who was one of oh, our guys. Merith, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she was She's she was awesome. And I an author her. herself, two books. Yes, yeah, she authored two books. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's been at it a while. And, uh, man, she loves working for Uncruise. Uh, but I didn't interview her because she was working for Uncruise, just because she, was, she happened to be our guide. She's working yeah. for Uncruise. And, yeah, she was – told some great stories and she led us through what was a highlight of our trip, which was we were kayaking and uh, we got really close up out of some bears and she encouraged us not to go too close because the water was shallow. And then of course, someone in the groups wants to go closer. And we talked about the exchange that she had, how she leads groups in the wild, you know, despite the, you know, with, uh, with the uncertainty there. But I, th- I think you really tapped into something there. Think about how you hire people early versus now. And I think leaders have really got to think about what is your hiring reputation. And if you can really take care of those people in your organization, they can become your best advocates. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by far, particularly with our expedition staff and expedition leaders, I would say 90% come through other staff members. I mean, because, you know, sailing on a boat, uh, you know, Merit's been at it for a long time, for instance, but a lot of folks, you know, you know, they decide they want to get married and have children and, you know, the boat lifestyle isn't going to work forever. Uh, so it's not like, so, so what that means is we have certain people that'll be with us for eight, 10, even 20 years and guiding, but the the majority are going to be on board for four or five years, six years Mm -hmm. before lifestyle changes. Uh, you know, it's hard being away six weeks at a time and off for four or whatever. Yeah. 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 I would not know, but I suspect it would be, it's not conducive (laughs) to, Okay, we're starting school. The kids got to go to school. Well, I'm going to be gone for the next six weeks on a cruise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Something like that. So, 
thinking about your sailing adventures and experiences, what what's one of the more memorable stories about either running your cruise line or selling around the world that you like to share with people? Well, you know, there, there are so many for sure. I mean, that people love the rough water stories, you know, on a sailboat and all this kind of thing. But I, I think one of the things that I'll re- relate Alaska to, and it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's a bear story. And, uh, you mentioned that, you know, I would sometimes come down and have breakfast or dinner with the guests when they're in port, but I, I used to go and I would take my kayak out and I would do spend about three weeks of summer just kayaking around Southeast Alaska and pick up my boats every other night or every night, even have dinner on board, get a shower, sometimes throw my tent up on deck. And, uh, oh, yeah, because we <laughs> like, sold out quite a bit on our boat. No, yeah, yeah, oh, that's, yeah. that's the owner of the company. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it, it actually made guests feel a little uncomfortable. Uh, the, the part about the tent on the deck, but you know, you do what you do, but I, um, uh, I stopped doing that because I had a couple of close bear encounters and I always had difficulty finding people that could go and do it with me that were both fit and skilled and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but one day I'm sitting there, I'm, I, I have a very great process for when I take my kayak up on the beach, how I scan, I look for trees and stuff turned over. I pull up on the beach and this is a longer story, but I'll try to keep it short. And, uh, and I, 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 I basically have my life jacket on. And before I get out of my kayak, I bear spray, bear spray, horn, whistle. And I keep my life jacket on because if you ever hit, that's protection, right? And mm-hmm. when you're by yourself, you know, you don't have numbers. Numbers are an amazing, that's an amazing safety thing. But when you're by yourself, not so much. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I pull my kayak up to the beach. I hop out bang, I'm on the beach and I look up and there's a sow about 30 feet away from me. And she's just looking at me and I just start, you know, using my best bear country technique and backing up slowly and talking Mm -hmm. to her and all this kind of thing. And then she comes at about 12 feet and I've got both bear sprays out and I'm Ooh. ready to let loose. I mean, I probably should have let loose, but she wasn't giving charging. She was just p- turning rocks. She could really care less about me. Well, anyway, she wanders off. I hop in my kayak, except that I had peed my pants. <laughs> I didn't know it until I got my kayak. And that was the last time I went out kayaking in the wilderness bear country by myself. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine so. That was a good reminder. You're you're not going to go back to the ship either at that point. A little embarrassed. <laughs> like what happened to you? It uh, it was uh it it oh, probably man. in reality was wasn't a dangerous situation because the bear was not interested. But you know when you're that close to a 800 or thousand pound wild animal, it's yes, it's frightening. Yeah, it could be a little unpredictable. So yeah. I I would have probably done the exact same thing. Uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, what, what a great story and, um, man, it just goes to show with this cruise line, you've got to love it to keep at it. <laughs> a lot of people would say, I'm out. <laughs> I've had enough of this Alaska while, uh, but you've kept with it and continue to spy inspire others. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of Alaska is so magical and it's so counterintuitive to what's happening in the rest of our world. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we have more wildlife coming back, more bears now than we did a hundred and a half years ago, more whales, 
more sea we sea otters came back in 1991 to southeast alaska and they'd been gone for 200 years i mean there are good things in certain places of the world happening oh it's incredible and i encourage everybody to to check this out get up to alaska and see this now this 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 nugget about being adopted by the clinket tribe we we actually Learned about the Clinkets because we went to the new museum in Juneau. Mm-hmm. That is really interesting. Isn't that a great you, place? You learn about the native, yeah. you know, groups there, and uh, man, great history. And Clinket is the is the biggest, oldest, I believe, group in the Juneau area. Is that correct? Well, they're there's the there's they're two? the largest population Large of the population. three native groups. Okay, no, yeah, yeah, Clinket is. Uh, uh, the the by far the majority of southeast alaska but we also have uh haida and simpson okay and so learned about them uh you got adopted what was that like being adopted by the tribe well you know the way native adoption works it's 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 almost always through the individual's fam extended family or the clan and mm-hmm. uh I had known this individual uh, and still know him quite well for, for decades. And it, and it wasn't like I was a, uh, a big native rights guy or anything. This was, you know, I was just doing my business and he was doing his, and our families got close and we became closer and closer over the years. And he, he called me up and one day and says, Dan, I, I want to adopt you into my family. And, uh, and I had heard about adoption, and I said, "Well, you know, Joe, I use his his English name, uh, Joe. I, I, I'm. What's this mean? <laughs> I mean, tell me." And um, and I have a, uh, I I had a time with his family where I had to learn about my extended clan, which is the Killer Whale Clan. Um, mm-hmm. And or the killer whale house, as they sometimes say, and had to learn the history about how that clan came about, where it was at. Um, you know, I needed to respect it. I went to name my boat Natsalani one day, and mm. I couldn't name it Natsalani because Natsalani is the story of the killer whale, and it can't mm. be put into commercial use. And uh, mm. so I didn't get permission. And it, which, if I hadn't have been adopted, I could have done it, but. I'm adopted. I can't do it now. And so you learn that, uh, you know, there's a lot of things to respect, a lot of things to honor, uh, but mostly just uh, really understanding, you know, where the native groups are today and how we're moving forward in so many areas. Um, so, yes, I, I, I was a drop adopted some years ago and uh, it's a, uh, Joe and I still stay in pretty close touch. He lives in Ketchikan. I live in Juneau. Yeah. And uh, although I don't speak Clinket. Oh, they didn't put that requirement on you, huh? No, no, they didn't. <laughs> I heard some of it, I believe, while we were there. Or it was a native language, and it was oh, yeah. Likely pretty difficult it was Clinket. for me yeah. to understand. I didn't try to understand. Yeah, no, that that's, that really speaks to also the, the, the approach of your organization where you're very you know, you're very energy. You, you try to have a, a respectful connection with the local people, right? Yeah, it's it's really important. I mean, you live in a you know, Juno's a town of thirty two thousand, and you live in a community. All of Southeast Alaska is about seventy five thousand, so everybody knows everybody. And uh, 
you know, the, the native community has just, I'm so proud of what's happened in the Alaska native community. I mean, long before mm-hmm. there was this resurgence in the lower 48, it was already happening in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, I feel like what's, what's taken place there is, is, is super positive for the people. Um, so much has come back. The language has come back. The skills have come back. It's just lovely to see. We're going to fast forward that conversation a little bit to, to just thinking about the leaders and you know, checking this out. You know, they're, they're working, you know, to, to lead their teams. What, what have you learned about leadership from this experience that you think other leaders could, could benefit from? Well, I, you know, in a small, again, a, a small business is different than a fortune 500, right? Uh, a small business, it's leadership by example. Um, you know, any given day I'll be hauling bags just with everybody else when I'm in Juneau and, uh, that's the way we, we do it. And, you know, you talked about how we all wear a lot of different hats on the boat. That is critical, um, to this kind of operation that people have skills that, that cross over. So I think that's really important. The other thing I, I think that, uh, is really important is, is not being bashful. I think, you know, one of the things that I learned during the pandemic, and I've never really been one to uh, necessarily hold back on, you know, letting people know I need this or I need that. But, uh, you know, that I, it was the first time I really got involved with our politicians. And and I think mm-hmm. my advice to other business leaders is you talk to your elected officials. Um they rarely hear from small business. Um, hmm. and, and when they do, they tend to take action. You'll be surprised, uh, as a small business person, how much traction you can get with your elected officials, probably mostly because nobody is even knocking on their door except for the, you know, the hot topics of our day, that kind of thing. When you say elected officials, do you mean at the state level, local level? Federal well, level? my during the pandemic, it was more federal, uh, federal level. level. Okay. Yeah, and state. Um, we were fortunate enough to have the governor of Alaska on a podcast several times, talking about COVID and and how our vessels, people off the vessel a lot, are you know safer than than just being in you know locked up in a lodge even. And mm-hmm. uh, so you know the governor came on, and then uh, the Alaska delegation and the Washington State delegation, where we have two offices. We're just uh, open doors and still are today. And, uh, you know, I, I just can't speak enough about uh, we, we unfortunately, because of the day and age we're in with politics and this kind of thing, it's easy to get a, a bad taste in your mouth when in reality, most people are not into that hyper kind of stuff that we see in the news. Most people are there to do a job, to help their constituents, to, to leave a good mark. And, uh, I think as small business people, we need to, you know, focus on that and get things done. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, and we don't talk a lot about, I mean, we're like 250 plus episodes in and we don't, I don't think we've really talked about that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think there are leaders do feel standoffish a lot of times engaging politicians because I thought they're just going to want money or they're going to try to drag me into some sort of social media campaign or something along those lines. Um, but really that's probably a, a much smaller percentage than most. Right. And relationships take time to build. And if you, I think if you approach it kind of like you are maybe potentially from like a relationship standpoint, mm-hmm. 
it really sets things on, on a different trajectory. How, how did you approach it and sort of not and, and, and stay in more and more of a neutral place? Well, you know, obviously you're, you're bringing subject matter to an elected official that because you need it impacted. You're, you're not calling them up and saying, you know, COVID's really tough. I, I can't make it. Uh, you're calling up saying, well, listen, you know, the, the, the state is doing this. So this is how the, the, this is the, back, the backside on this. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to work to, you know, change this regulation or have it be adaptable or something like this. Um, you know, there, for instance, uh, in the early part of the pandemic, uh, there were, there were Congress people in Congress saying that not a, any cruise in its entity of any kind will not get stimulus. Uh, but yet we're this mm-hmm. small U S flag, U S owned U S built boats. Uh, and why should we be any different than any other business? Well, it, it took the Alaska delegation and the Washington delegation speaking in front of Congress saying, Hey, you can't just say no cruise line, no cruise company, wow. because mm-hmm. this is why sure. The big cruise lines are foreign flagged, cheap foreign labor. They're built overseas at half the cost of a U.S. vessel, but the, uh, that isn't the reality for the entire industry and there is a u.s entity to that so you know it took about four months but we managed to press that forth i would champion lisa murkowski from alaska as the primary one that got that job done to make sure that you know an entire industry in the united states wasn't left out of stimulus yeah it's so important to give a face to the issues and yeah. that face can be you know leaders and organizations but but to have that conversation and to shed light on what's i mean other times, I mean, things can just get, they can get tunnel vision on an issue just to get it done. Right. And then not see the full picture. And so, yeah, I can see where that would be. Yeah, that would be so helpful and important. So congratulations on leading and saving the, saving the industry. <laughs> well, we actually <laughs> found that, uh, that we brought all the competitors. There were eight primary companies that came together during the pandemic and, uh, wow. And basically, so we could work together and we accomplished a, a tremendous amount where if the coalition doesn't, isn't active anymore, we don't have a need to be, but it's for four years or three years, it was very active. Oh, cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It's good. Good story with a happy ending, at least in a lot of situations. Uh, we got up to Alaska and the, and the cruise <laughs> lines were there. It's good. Indeed. Now, I... Are our cruise lines great places for executive retreats? Well, I, you know, I think, uh, again, it depends what you're talking about. Uh, you know, I, uh, we do executive retreats on our boats regularly. I mean, it's, a, a executive training, this kind of thing, particularly on for our smaller training boats. Training your leaders or other people's? Other, others. Yeah. Others. Yeah. Others will bring yeah. Their... So we, we get executive groups that come to us and say, you know, listen, I want your 22 or your 36 passenger boat. I'm not going to bring 80 people, but I'll take one of your smaller boats. Um, there are certainly in the cruise industry, you know, there there are executive travel groups that travel on big ships too, where they bring the wives and the kids. And, you know, I mean, it's a whole big thing. Yeah. It's more of a Benny than a yeah. uh, anything right. else. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it, but but if you yeah. if you want to get the work done in a, a place without a lot of, uh, uh, well, the ability to shut off the Wi-Fi and and let people really focus on you know being a team, 
a small boat like ours has a lot of value. Well, that that was going to be sort of the next avenue I was going to ask you what you notice. We were off the grid most of that, most of our crews with you. And mm-hmm. we had no no access. We had our phones for pictures, but we weren't, there was no email. Uh, there was no, you know, phone stuff. And it was amazing. And it was, it was a little weird uh, at first. And the weirdest part was, okay, we had these 70 plus people on board and they're talking to each other. <laughs> they're playing board games. No one's got their iPad out streaming movies or anything. Uh, it was old school from that. Well, and that why, why is, do you have it that way? Well, it's uh, very much on purpose. Um, you know, obviously we, we have connection all the time, uh, on the bridge and in an emergency it's available. I hope so. <laughs> um, but the, uh, when we first put down, I'll go back a few years when we first put televisions and what were then VHS recorders on the boat, it was amazing how the lounge emptied out in the evening. Uh, mm. and then when we first had Wi-Fi available, we did experiment with it and, it was amazing how empty happy hour was. And, mm-hmm. and so what had happened is that unknowingly, when you bring in these different stimuluses that aren't based on a group dynamic, uh, you know, it's not serendipitous to building a, a group experience. Uh, people go out on their individual ways. I mean, you see this with school children all the time and adults are no better. I'm no better. Uh, but when you take it away, People go back to, they don't even have to be taught. They just naturally go back to communicating with each other. And the lounge is packed. And, yes. you know, at, at happy hour, everybody's there. And they're they're telling stories, whether they're truth or lies. I don't know, but they're <laughs> sharing stories. And and life is taking place. And uh, so we, we call it digital detox. And we market it. And, uh, you know, well, I kind of joked about when everybody got Starlink. Oh, we got Starlink too, but we Mm -hmm. don't have it on for you. And there's a reason. And the reason is, is that, you know, the experience is about you and I as human beings with our families creating an environment that is just electric and full of life. And, And that's hard to do when you're, you have a device in your face all the time. Wow, I got to chill. We need more of that. And there just aren't many places to do that. So true. Um, So true. And, of course, it helps when you're surrounded by beauty like that at at every corner. And there's something to do. But even the sense of boredom is you go get a game or some cards and you start playing or you just jump in with someone else on board. and, And happy hour was packed. Yeah. Every every Maybe day. even more than it should have been. <laughs> it was it was a great time. Oh, that's good. All right, Dan, I could talk to you forever. I think I've got a lot more questions. <laughs> we need to wind this up and get you on your way. But uh, what's your parting thought for our listeners? My parting thought is live an experiential life. If you're, uh, you know, don't don't settle for the the mass ways of doing things. There are ways you can have experiences that have great value to the business leaders out there. 
if you can find what you're doing, something you're passionate about, it also kind of turns your crank on the business side, the creativity that's involved. Man, do it. Uh, building widgets. If you don't like building widgets, why spend a life building widgets? Hmm. Get out and, and do where go where your passions lie. Thanks, Captain Dan. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.